Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Coach's Road podcast presented by Coach Tools. A big shout out to, to Coach Tools. It's a, it's a great tool for, uh, to help create an athlete-centered environment uh, in your club. In order to, to find out more, you can watch Eero's presentation from the Coach's Road conference back in December up on our YouTube or go to uh, coaches, coachtools.net um, to find out more and start your free trial. So um, welcome back, everybody, to regular episodes. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed our series with, with AJ Woodburn the last three weeks. Um, I know Rick and I really had a lot of fun putting those together, so um, hopefully everybody enjoyed listening to them. But today we're, we're going back to our normal program of intro, um, interview, and then outro. And, and today we're joined by Dr. Larry Lauer from the U.S. Tennis Association. You may remember Dr. Larry from our conference again back in December. Um, he spoke about tough and clean hockey. And, and if you did not hear that presentation, you may be wondering why is someone from the Tennis Association speaking about tough and clean hockey? Uh, he, he provides a little bit of background information at the beginning of the show about him and, and that project that he, he worked on, um, and so I'll, I'll let him explain that, but it, it was a great conversation with Larry, and I really appreciated it because, like I mentioned, it, it's something that you know I've been struggling with a little bit this year is, is getting my um, players that are new to body contact, body checking to to kind of hone in on this tough but clean hockey so it was a really helpful conversation for me um and yeah i'm excited to share it with everybody yeah and no, i think on top of this what i absolutely liked is that first of all larry has gained a lot of knowledge in this area so he was studying this field in depth and then at the same time today i really like the practicality of the episode there are a lot of examples which you can really apply and um Next to this, it was really good towards the end. We were like giving him just some cases and how he would deal with those situations. And I think he does an excellent job at describing what you could potentially do. So I think it's a really good episode with a lot of practical examples of how we can actually emphasize playing tough and clean hockey. And I mean, um, because last year we were, we were coaching together and I still remember you you, you were running one of those body contact clinics that's actually the first time um, I have been doing this in my practices office and I liked it a lot and I mean now you you were always conscious about like that you need to that you're supposed to play tough and clean hockey but um, I think this conversation has helped a lot and like how to actually deliver the message and how important it is actually to make this clear right at the beginning of the season I think that's like what really has helped with this episode. But um, now it's time to head it over to Dr. Larry Lauer. And we hope that all of you will enjoy you. Uh, and we hope that all of you will enjoy the episode. So now we would like to welcome on Dr. Larry Lauer out of Ontario, Ontario, Florida. Um, Larry, thanks a ton for taking the time and joining us here today. Um, how is everything going in Florida with you? Yeah, things are great. Uh, uh, working in the tennis world full-time now, we're uh, back to playing tournaments and, you know, uh, players are traveling around the world and, you know, not without issues as we know, but, 
getting the 2022 season started and uh, looking forward to hopefully a full year of competition. So yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Um, that well, tennis is a very exciting sport. My favorite tournament of the year is always Wimbledon. Um, like it, watch watched it since I was a kid. It would be would be really cool to go there one day because just the entire atmosphere there is like very very unique and very magical but um today yeah. oh yeah place. i can can only imagine but today um we have you on to talk with you about tough and clean hockey this is a little bit of follow-up conversation based on um the presentation you gave at our conference you were one of the speakers so thanks again for doing this and um, of course we we do have now um some follow-up questions regarding this presentation um, but first of all, I would like to know how and why are you so interested in this area? Yeah, that's that's a great place to start because, again, probably people who didn't come to the conference or didn't listen to my presentation might be asking why a guy who works in tennis full time is talking about ice hockey. And, you know, it really, my career started out playing a bunch of different sports and you know, in the U.S. and my best sport was baseball. So, um, but growing up playing hockey as well and a sport that I love. And as I, you know, kind of graduated out of baseball um, from college, you know, walk on and didn't really go very far with it. Uh, I decided really that I wanted to put more of my time into ice hockey and um, spend more time in, in that sport. And you know, I was doing coaching education for USA Hockey when I was in the master's program at UNC Greensboro. And then uh, also going out to the rinks and just spending time with players and coaches and, and just seeing, you know, some of the things that were going on in the game. Now, now we're talking about, you know, this is the, the mid to late 90s. So this is, this is a while back. So, um, and then having an opportunity to be uh, assistant hockey director in Greensboro and then hockey director in Charlotte and then eventually moving to uh, Pensacola, New Jersey to be the hockey director at the Flyer State Center in Pensacola, New Jersey. I just witnessed a lot of uh, a lot of behaviors on the ice that I felt like came from players being out of control uh, emotionally. They were angry because uh, someone did something to them so they were seeking retribution revenge uh they were trying to protect a teammate and they were upset about that uh, they they were uh losing not playing well so i felt like a lot of these incidences that were occurring during the time a lot of them had to do with honestly people just not controlling their emotions and now he had done things like education of players uh you know the stop sign on the back of the jerseys was to come and different things, but really felt like we needed to address more of the emotional side of the sport and help players learn how to control their emotions. Uh, so being a hockey director in Charlotte and in Pensacola, I, I witnessed multiple incidences where players uh, took cheap shots, other players, players getting injured, fans getting involved, uh, you know, just fights in the stands. And I'm like, this is, this, this is not what it's about. And, and certainly I felt like I could do something about it. So because of that, I put together, you know, for my, my PhD dissertation, I went back to UNC Greensboro. I put together a program uh, to help players 
control their emotions, manage their emotions, and play good hockey. And, you know, at first, a lot of people felt like, well, if you take the emotions out of the game, they're not going to play as well. The goal wasn't to take the emotions out. It was actually to learn how to control our response to our emotions so we could play better hockey and use the emotions that we were having. And, and that was a big uh, selling point of the program. But, you know, I had the opportunity to work with five players, uh, four for a whole season when I was in Michigan, uh, working at the Institute for Studies of Youth Sports at Michigan State University. That's where I finished the dissertation, even though my degree is from UNC Greensboro. Uh, but I did the work up at, in Michigan in the rinks and you know, just getting to spend a whole year with those players uh, going through the program. We saw major changes in their attitudes about the game, but also in their behaviors on ice. They were able to reduce their penalty minutes. They were able to reduce, you know, we, re we watched all of their games so that we could record and we reduced their aggressive behaviors and, um, you know, really made a difference. You know, for ex one, one example, a player uh, wasn't getting the ice time uh, that he wanted because his coach couldn't trust him to be on the ice. He'd take too many penalties. And by the end of the year, he was a player that the, the coach could trust in play and in pressure moments. So that was huge for him because he felt like his hockey career was really slowly dying because he wasn't getting opportunities. So, so that's a little bit of the origin. The The program was developed in the, in the early 2000s, um, was delivered to, you know, on a case-by-case uh, situation. I used it for my dissertation, but then going around and providing it to teams uh, to other individuals in my private consulting. Uh, it's not something, you know, I've been uh, working full-time in tennis the last, last eight and a half years, so it's not something I've been doing much of as late, uh, much of it lately, but uh, it's certainly still a passion of mine, something I think it's still important to to get out there to the masses. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's a really interesting and really you know, speaking specifically about hockey, it's really prevalent for especially young kids that are just starting to learn how to hit, starting to learn how to be physical on the ice. Um, my my question is, you, you, you said something there pretty interesting, that when you talked about, you know, emotional control, teaching players to control their emotions within the game, um, you, you had some people saying, well, we can't take the emotions out of the game. And, you know, there's that I think goes for every sport, you know, you have to you have to be able to control your emotions, but not take them out of the game completely sort of thing. So can you dive into that a little bit more? And, and how or like, how do you see the difference between, you know, um, having that control over your emotions, but still letting your emotions play through the game, if that makes sense? It does. And I appreciate you asking that follow up, because it's a very important question. And it's one that often keeps parents or coaches from really addressing this area because they, they feel like the you know, players playing with emotion is a good thing. And the way I address that is that players playing with emotion is a good thing, but we want to, we want to keep that under control, right? We want to keep our responses under control because it's a risky proposition when you start talking about being angry and trying to play a physical game or being frustrated and try to play a physical game. That's where we see some of these things happen. So, you know, we talk, I used to talk when we did the program in great depth about emotions and what they are, that they're these powerful momentary feelings that 
they come in waves, right? They come and they hit us strong because they're supposed to. They're supposed to direct our behavior. That's their evolutionary purpose is to, you get angry so you can take action, so you can fight or take flight, uh, so you can stay safe and, and be competent. Uh, this idea that, you know, we have to actually stop our emotions from happening is, is, is not relevant because you can't do that. We have to understand our emotions are part of who we are. They're part of the game. You're not going to stop someone from feeling something. Now you're going to modulate how much they feel it or the intensity of how much they feel it, right? But really, once the players, the coaches, the parents understood that the goal of the program was not to take out their emotions. It was actually to respond to them in a way where they could use them to their advantage. Then they were sold. Uh, and that, that really had to be communicated early on with everyone so that they could buy in. Um, but emotions are very powerful forces that flow through us. They come quickly, they often lead quickly, um, but certainly they're, they drive the bus, as we say, uh, when they come on strong and we want to use those. Yeah, Rex, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Your, your mic is muted now, Rick. Yeah, so the, the, you know, the, these emotions, um, what we have to do with players is we have to identify where they come from. And why are you having the specific emotions you're having during the game? And what thoughts are creating those emotions? Oftentimes in players who are taking a lot of penalties or doing dirty things, as we call them, or you know, playing outside the rules, making it unsafe, they, um, they're having angry thoughts. They're having frustrated thoughts that then rationalize these behaviors. You know, he did this to me, therefore I'm going to get him back. Eye for an eye philosophy. Um, you know, I'm playing terrible. This is horrible. You know, I need to do something about it. You know, and their, their emotions are dictating their decision-making. So we want to feel our emotions. We want to accept our emotions. We want to honor our emotions, embrace them. We don't want them to be in control of our actions. And, and this is where when players started to turn the corner from just reacting to what was happening to them and taking penalties and taking cheap shots to really being under control on the ice is when they accepted that they were going to have these emotional experiences, these feelings, but they could control how they responded to it. And there was a lot of work that went in to get their thoughts watching video, doing walkthroughs of, of different routines that they could use on the ice uh, to help them deal with these experiences. But uh, you know, each one was able to get there. So I believe that in that in the dissertation, in those five players, uh, so I, I believe that any player has the capacity to learn how to play tough and clean, to play within the rules and physical. Uh, but it does require more efforts on our part. Uh, as coaches to make that happen. Um, you mentioned already something, an interesting word, which is the flow. And on your presentation, you were also have you had a few points about the flow of the game. And um, the reason why I'm bringing this up, because what I'm thinking here now is that the flow of the game is also highly connected with the emotions that go through an individual during the game because things getting heated up very quickly and especially uh, in youth hockey uh, also when they're growing because they do not know yet or they haven't learned yet how to control 
their emotions and how to be conscious about them. And um, there's again something very essential what we should do more than we actually play is practicing overall, um, like we commonly know. And now my now my question here is that checking with the flow of the game. So overall, like what is the role of practicing and teaching body can contact within the flow of the game? Yeah, thanks, Rick. I'm glad you bring that up. You know, it's so important in going to your first point. You know, we're dealing with youngsters who they haven't matured yet. So you have big physical differences on the ice that we see, especially at the, you know, 14 and under, the 16 and under. And so one, it can be unsafe when people are, are skating around trying to knock people out of the rink. I think secondly, um, emotionally, they're nowhere near developed yet. In fact, the male brain uh, may develop you know, the emotional side of things, not until about age 25. So, you know, what we're talking about is trying to teach kids how to skate on these blades with hockey sticks and all this equipment and control of behavior. It's a big challenge. Now, add to that when all these emotions are occurring that are dictating behavior and they're causing players to react to what's going on, right? So, Rick, you talk about the flow of the game and you know, people who've been around the game can tell when a game is going to ignite because there's little chippy things happening behind the play. There's chirping going on. There's talking going on. There's hits that are happening that might be outside the rules. So there's things that are leading up to uh, to this greater sort of dirty play that might happen or when the fight breaks out, stuff like that. But what we have to do is try to uh, help our players stay focused on the game playing the puck, playing the man. Now, the I think USA Hockey's done it, and that's what I can speak to, you know, being in the U.S., has done a tremendous job of talking about caution, angling, uh, protecting the puck, uh, you know, these kinds of things at an early age. I think education, so the players understand what uh, body contact, which is really how we should be talking about it, what it really is, and what its purpose is, it's to gain possession of the puck. It's not to remove the player from the game. Uh, and I think that, you know, in the past, I think it's changed quite a bit, but, you know, the media were glorifying these huge hits in the, in the pro leagues much more, at least I can speak from a North American perspective. And, and so I think that has also changed where the media is not glorifying this as much and, uh, you know, so we're getting support from the higher end where the game is much more about skill and speed. Um, if you look at your fourth lines in the National Hockey League, they're not made up of fighters anymore. Uh, they are made up of players who can get up and down the ice and make plays. It just they might not have the high end scoring ability, but they're very good checkers or good uh, good members of the team in terms of you know uh, playing a physical and maybe a, a defensive role, but. You know, the, the idea of some of the old ideas have changed in the last two generations of having a fighter on the team, which, again, not that relevant at the youth level, but it sets sort of a, a whole sort of philosophy, a perspective around the game that it is physical and you, you should seek retribution if someone uh, bumps into your goalie. I think that's changing, uh, you know, slowly but surely. 
And I think that, uh, you know, our coaches are going to be, be a big part of that because, you know, going back to the start of this, what we were talking about, our kids haven't learned how to manage their emotions yet. Kids that are 12, 13, um, they're experiencing things for the first time. The games of uh, winning and losing has become more important to everyone around them. And it becomes a lot. And so we have to teach them how to manage those emotions. Where are they getting it? They probably aren't getting it in school. And you know, again, I can only speak to a U.S. perspective on that. I don't know how other educational systems handle that, but um, we spend very little time on managing emotions and, and more of these kinds of skills than we do teaching um, facts and knowledge. So, so where are kids getting it? Maybe from their parents, but we also see that a lot of parents struggle to manage their own emotions and become role models for uh, reacting to your emotions versus having responses that you want to have. And that's key for any coach that if you want to have a team that plays tough and clean, which I hope you do, um, you have to have your parents on board. You have to have your assistants on board. You have to have a culture around the team where everybody's supporting you. But it begins with the education and understanding, uh, you know, this tough and clean way is a, a way to play better hockey so you perform better. You stay on the ice, you stay healthy, uh, and really this whole idea of, of body contact is about gaining possession of the puck. It's not about uh, delivering huge hits that lead to injuries. Yeah. So if, you know, let's say we have the, the parents on board, right? And, and the, the parents, are they know what we're working on with the kids. We, they know, you know, the, the kind of tough and clean um, idea and everything behind that. Then let's turn our focus to the players. You know, you mentioned there that they're experiencing things for the first time. They're experiencing different emotions for the first time, going through a lot of, you know, changes, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, uh, socially, everything like that. What are those conversations like? What are those first couple conversations like with kids? You know, when a kid is experiencing anger for the first time on the ice, for example, you know, really like really frustrated and everything like that. What are those first couple conversations? How do we start this process of teaching kids how to manage and control their emotions and use them for, you know, a benefit or a positive way rather than, you know, going out and trying to um, hurt someone, hurt someone? Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's a great question, Derek, because, you know, how are you going to respond as a coach? There's really a couple answers to this that I think are important. One is you should be doing education. It should be part of your philosophy of coaching from the start of the season. So, you know, your expectations of your players are no surprise to them. That we as a team, we manage our emotions. We use them to our advantage to skate hard, uh, to win puck battles, to, to make good plays and stay out of the penalty box, to play safe to play tough and clean, not dirty and, and aggressive. So, so that's one part of that. So it shouldn't be a surprise to the player. But secondly, we know, we're, we know that they're going to go through these experiences. And we know that, uh, you know, the first time you got hit in the back with a stick, you got cross-checked in the back in front of the net, you're not very happy. A lot of times kids are just like puzzled, like why would someone do that to me? And then they start to learn that, 
you know what people do this to gain advantage or to get under your skin they start getting angry and they 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 don't know necessarily understand why someone's doing it or they they do understand they they realize that it's unfair and that's really the part of of it that i had a hard time with as a young hockey player it's the unfair nature in my mind of it and so i had to deal with that uh, personally as well so this isn't just something that i've done with other people I had to work on it myself as a player and that first conversation when the player's going through the experiences has I think has to be one of empathy as a coach look I understand like I remember getting slashed in the back of me just being super white hot angry like man I can't believe someone would do that to me that is so not right I could get hurt and you're having all these thoughts right and and 13-year-old players are having them in their 13-year-old way. They're not having them in, in Dr. Larry's 48-year-old way. So uh, they're coming in, and they're they're coming in with probably curse words, and they're coming in with all these emotional thoughts that are happening that are just catalyzing this anger, this frustration, uh, sometimes embarrassment as well. And, and so what we have to do, I think, um, is honor those emotions. And say, look, I see that you're you're angry. I understand that. I, I, I've gotten angry too when this stuff happens. And then talk about like, you know, where is that coming from? Like, wow, that's not fair that you know that he did that to me. Okay, I understand that, and you're 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 right. But what can we do about that? You know, what are we going to do about that? You know, are we going to let him win because we know that the second man in is usually the one that gets the penalty? And, you know, so starting to have these conversations uh, on the ice in practice. So if you're you're doing battle games, competitive games, some of these things are going to come up. And this is where you can control it more, right? Because you're in control of the, of the drill. And so if, I, if I'm playing a two-on-two in a small side, um, kids are going to run into each other. Emotions are going to flare up. And I want that in some aspects so then I can work on this side of things under my supervision. Uh, you know, so that that's a training ground for that and having then you can have those conversations a little bit more slowly and in real time. You can have your assistant take over the drill while you pull one kid to the side and talk to him. Um, you know, this way there can be a teachable moment. When you're in games, you don't really get as much of that opportunity. So you want to have it trained in if possible um, to Rick's point about having more practices. But um in that case, the coach still has the, the ability to pull the kid off of the ice for a shift, have a conversation, let those emotions pass through, let them cool off, have them engage, you know, if you're doing the cup and clean hockey program, in breathing, which allows someone to quiet the mind, lower the emotions, and begin to have a different set of thoughts, a more rational set of thoughts. This is where we're controlling the response. To engage in different, like I said, thoughts or self-talk, around, hey, what I really want is to be effective in this game, not be sitting in the penalty box. So let's be smart when we go out there, stick on the ice, um, looking to make plays, you know, um, have, really engaging them with some of these things so that it allows them to get back in the game safely. But I think it starts with having empathy, honoring their emotions and recognizing. I, I don't want the coaches to miss this point. When you go up to the young hockey player, like, I, I, I see that you're angry. I get it. I would be too. However, it's not going to help anyone 
if you're going around slashing people. So what what do you want to do about this? How can how do you want to play? You know, and having a conversation too when you have time about why do you get so angry? What's going on in your head? And if you can get to the thoughts and you can change the way the player's looking at the game, then you can change the behaviors and the experience of that, those emotions that that hit them strongly, which is what I had to do as a young player. Um, fortunately, you know, when I was still playing hockey, uh, at, you know, at, in my early 20s, having someone like Dan Gould be my mentor, you know, and, and, and also Dr. Eastley Krause at Penn University, I sort of learned a lot about how to control myself. Um, I don't want to have, I don't want players to have to wait until they're in their early 20s or mid 20s to really uh, learn how to manage this aggressive behavior um, so that they have many opportunities at a young age. In fact, you know, this, this is the truth too, guys. I mean, you know, coaches are eventually going to rule out players, not play players that they can't trust on the ice. That they're, they are afraid they're going to take a penalty in those intense pressure moments, which come at the end of periods, the end of games, when you're killing penalties, when you're stuck in your own zone, you can't get the puck out. Um, when the like the, the flow of the game is, is such that there's a lot. And, you know, players, that's the thing we all want. If we want to be in the game, we want to make a difference, we want to help our team win. So this is a way to be able to do that. Um, I had the fortune to work uh, the National Team Development Program, USA Hockey's Development Program in Ann Arbor. And we had a guy who, who has played pro. And when he was 16, 17, had a hard time managing his emotions. And going through this and just seeing how his opportunities grew, as he gained control over himself. And again, wasn't that he wasn't having emotions. It was that he was managing, controlling his response to those instead of being controlled himself, uh, not letting his emotions dictate what he did. Basically, I intentionally, I wanted to ask because you were speaking about, again, like helping the players handling the emotions during the game firstly and then you switched on um in practice when you have competitive battle drills that this is a really good opportunity to actually help the players and facilitate the process of managing the emotions because you can in practice obviously depending on maybe also what time of the season it is um how and what age they are and all these kind of things and how like where they are right now, um, you can have these kind of conversations. Um, and for 100%, you need to have them. But I just mean that um, sometimes it just depends on the daily um, mood of the players, of the kids, uh, where it's maybe more beneficial, where I think, to speak maybe after the practice and not uh, right in the moment. And then you switch back to the games. And I think you also made a really good or gave really good advice to us here and not to our listeners. Then again, like reminding and talking consciously to the players about hey this i fully understand that you're angry but this does not help us to process in the game and again you you were mentioning again the the flow of the game and um, because now now i feel like that we have been talking spending time talking about what are the actions we can actually take as coaches to help our players so they can improve um specific behaviors and let's say you have figured things out quite well um, obviously things can be always a little bit better but um, let's say you have instilled this 
playing tough and clean hockey um, within your team and within the individual, the majority of them. Um, so overall, like again, we have the scenario. How does it overall affect um, the flow of the game if you are able to play tough and clean hockey? Yeah, another great question. One thing I'd say about coach feedback, and I'll go right to that question, is uh, that sometimes you have to address it in the moment. One, because the players, it's just not safe for them to be playing at that moment until they get under control. And secondly, that that anger, frustration experience is often so strong that they can't remember what they're thinking after the fact. So often you're going to get, usually you're going to get way more accurate responses as as it's happening when they get a second to cool down and then you can talk to them uh but again you know there are times where you need to address that after afterwards because um, whatever is going on you know and maybe it can wait but to go into the 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 question about you know uh really the flow of the game and and these things you know i, I think when you're playing tough and clean that you're not you're not having to shorten your bench you're not having to play the same players more now again this is maybe more on a performance side but uh you know because you know only so many players are killing penalties uh you know we know that special teams change the game significantly so if you're the one taking the penalties you're really putting yourself a bit of disadvantage but you're also breaking up your your flow of your game your lines aren't going out consistently. You're not rolling your lines. Um, you're not able to get into that sort of relentless puck pressure, forecheck um, game that a lot of teams like to play. Um, you end up, unfortunately, spending way more time defending because um, because you're, you're causing yourself to be shorthanded. Or even if you're not getting penalized, if you have players playing this way, they're often out of position because they're going after people and they, they find themselves in the corners, on the walls, when the play is in the middle of the ice. Um, so to me, the tough and clean, it keeps you focused. It keeps your eyes on the prize, which is, is to play well as an individual, to play well together as a team, to, to be successful. And uh, you know, it allows you to create a consistent sort of flow within the game instead of breaking it up with a bunch of penalty kills. Yeah. And, and – and it's going to keep you on the ice so you can be in those physical battles, which is something that was really important for me. You can be in the physical battles and start to win them more because you're under, right? Because you get in the physical battle. Imagine you're getting into a physical battle and your first move is to slash somebody because you're angry because they're bumping into you, um, which happens. Um, you know, you're doing something because a player you felt offended you. You just have to change the way you're thinking about the game. You have to think about it as, you know what? You just need to stay focused. It doesn't matter what that player is doing. I have to play my game. I need to win this puck. Uh, and this is this is where giving players examples of players who play this way: uh, Patrice Bergeron, uh, Jacob Slavin, uh, Matt Grizzlick, who was at the national team, five points the other night. Uh, giving them uh, Saku Koivu going back in, in time, uh, Nicholas Lidstrom. You know, for our listeners, uh, giving them players who who play the game in such a way they're really highly effective, but they do it in this way where they're not taking penalties. They can stay on the ice, they make plays, they can get into physical battles, and they win a lot of the physical battles without taking penalties. So hopefully that was coherent. So sorry, Derek. No, you're, you're good. I, I just have, I, 
you know, I'm thinking now might be a good time to get into the some of the hypothetical scenarios we were mm-hmm. hoping to get into. And my first one kind of comes off of that answer there. You know, you were mentioning about penalties and how it's if you're not playing tough and clean hockey, if you're just playing, you know, maybe tough and dirty hockey, then it's pretty easy to get penalties and, and you might end up in the box a lot as a player. My question is maybe a little bit in a different scope, but you know, what if you have, cause I think it's quite common in, um, you know, U 13, U 14 hockey, a, a lot of, a lot of penalties just kind of occur because maybe one kid goes into the corner who's, two feet taller than um, the kid that's next to him, you know, and there's, there's just certain things that happen in the game that, you know, um, we can help with teaching proper body contact and everything like that, of course, but there are still just penalties that happen. So my question there is, cause I, I had a player like this, my first few years of coaching that, you know, every time he on, was on the ice, it seemed like he was running into a smaller kid and was getting a penalty. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily because he went out there looking for smaller kids to hit, but just because that kind of happened. And, you know, my my question there is how do we how do we in a broader sense, how do we make sure that kids don't get discouraged from playing tough hockey, but in the same time, you know, not going out there and, and getting frustrated that they're getting penalties that they don't think they deserve and, and um you know, not getting frustrated and not letting that build up to the point where they're, they are going on the ice and actually playing tough and dirty hockey kind of thing. And, um, you know, how do we work with that sort of scenario? It might be, you know, looking at it from a different perspective, but I'm curious to know your answer or your, your solution. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, a lot of these things happen. And, and this is part of the conversation with the team or an individual player that, they're just by accident or just, just happenstance, you know, a bigger player comes in and naturally their elbow is going to be at head level, you know, and, and that's unfortunate. So the, uh, the other player, the one being hit has to understand that a lot of this is not intentional and that can help to, to minimize your angry thoughts and then manage your emotions. But talking about the bigger player, you know, we see this a lot um, at that U13, U14 uh age levels because uh, the kids are maturing at such different rates you have huge size differences i think one thing you know that that i would talk with them about is is really trying to check the hands um this is something that mike hartman taught me way back in the day in charlotte north carolina we came out to do a checking clinic checking the hands you know uh, that you you're going after their stick so that you can possess the puck and that that truly is like best case scenario right when you're going in for body contact that you can take away their stick now your stick's still free and you can make a play to a teammate so what i would do is i would actually have them walk through that or skate through that slow on the ice and start getting experience if you're working on angling drills or contact um so that's one thought secondly big players still need to play um with a lower center of gravity and so you want to you want to try and get lower um try and get down Make sure your elbows are tucked if you are going in for a hit. Um, really teach them what, what it is, is necessary to stay out of the box. Um, I think too often as adults, we just want to you know, say, well, he's big, and, and then argue about the officials. Not the right approach. Talk to the kid about how to manage that size and the frustrations and anger and disappointment that comes from 
taking penalties that they think are undeserved, which I totally understand. And I would, again, have that empathy. I understand, you know, being 5'8", I don't understand it completely because I was never the big kid, but I can, I can understand what it might be like to be in your shoes. So, you know, having those conversations, teaching them how to, to really use their body, get low, tuck those elbows, keep the stick down, not leave their feet, um, check the hands, check the stick. So some of these behavioral things, and then you still have to manage the emotional side because unfortunately, because of their size, they probably are going to take some penalties no matter what they do. And then I would have a conversation about, you understand that your size also gives you great advantage. So when you're getting frustrated that you might have a penalty in this game, just think about all the opportunities you're getting because of your reach and because of your body and, and talking about puck protection and, you know, being able to use that longer stick and that bigger frame to move the puck away from the defense and get around them and, and get underneath them and use the body. So, um, so, you know, you gotta, you gotta start taking that perspective of, of what it's giving you because otherwise um, as we all do, we tend to look at what it's taking away from us. I think first of all, what I want to say is that the cues you just gave here, um, they were excellent and they also correlate a little bit with what we have been discussing with Dr. Nick Winkelman about the language of coaching, especially one of my favorite cues. I really, I really love it because you were saying it as well, hit the hands. Mm -hmm. Like it's so beneficial and so obviously you have to teach it, but it's easy. The teaching process is maybe easier than teaching someone to I don't know, pivot clearly, you know, 100%. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is, this is, this is easy for kids to remember and keep in mind, I think. And I think this is something you can start teaching and reemphasizing already very, very early. Mm -hmm. um, so I think these are, these are really, really good cues. And I think everyone who's listening now, and uh, it's, this is very, very beneficial for utilizing it in coaching and practicing overall with, with our, within hockey. And my next question is, I have a, I think this is like kind of a classic scenario. Last week, Friday, we still had holidays. So we had a practice game or preseason game this weekend. Our um, supposed to our regular season is starting again, our spring series. And um, we were, I think we were leading, uh, but I'm not 100% sure anymore. But at this point, we were still leading. And then um, one of our players got hit twice in a row, I think. And then he came off the bench. He was hurting him a little bit himself. You know, he's he's a bit like he he got really hit, but he's a bit like he likes to simulate very often as well. So uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's the first point. Then the the second point is that everyone asked on the bench like my finish is not great, but I do understand a little bit. Uh, they they said like numero numero, so they wanted to know which number. So they kept communicating on the bench, <laughs> which number? Yes. Well, I, yes. I was observing it. Nothing happened in the game. Obviously, otherwise I would have been addressing it. But like in these situations, because this can easily, um, things can easily get getting heated up in that case or in that scenario. So instead of that, you have, let's say you have 18 players on the bench. Everyone is focusing on like really injuring and destroying this one player how can you instead of like as simple as it sounds but helping them everyone there to regaining focus and hey it's much more beneficial as you have been saying as well if we try to regain the possession of the puck with tough and clean hockey and then 
the consequence of what they've been doing is that we score because at the end of the day invasion games are about maximizing the goals you score but how do you especially with young players how do you help them to internalize this yeah i know it, it's tough when that messaging starting to go on and that's why it's important to um, first as a coach not to play into that uh, never say take his number because you know, that to you it might mean hitting him with a clean check but to the players that might mean any means necessary get this player so it's a dangerous situation so what we say and what they hear often are two different things we have to be careful of our words when it's happening amongst the, the team members uh, I certainly would be having a a conversation with them on the bench about what our, our goal actually is and what our expectations are, as you were saying, Rick. Um, and if I felt like it was getting a little too out of control, uh, then I would call it timeout because I know that the emotion of the moment, if I can put a pause in there, I might be able to reduce the emotions enough and then get different thoughts in my players' heads um, to get us refocused. Um, so during that timeout, I would have them, you know, take a few moments, a couple of deep breaths, clear their head, and then talk about what the real, again, goal of the game is, is to come out on top. And that's not in, in penalty minutes. And that's not in how many injuries we create. It's about how we play the game and can we win this game, uh, specifically as you get to older levels. But, um, yeah, that, that can certainly be challenging. Uh, but calling a timeout can really diffuse things. You may not, might not always have that opportunity um, to call a timeout. So then you really just have to manage the players, uh, get your assistants talking to the players as well. If you have assistants uh, before they go on the ice, reminding them of what it's about, have them take a deep breath, refocus. Um, and look, I mean, I'm not one to punish players unless, you know, it's really getting bad, but, Certainly putting out that warning, you know, guys, if you're going to run around and take shots at this player, you're not going back in the game because we can't have that. It's just not safe. So you're going to sit, you know, you are going to sit if you're doing this because you're hurting the team. Uh, so you, as a coach, you're well within your, your means to keep players safe on the ice, to sit players. I, I think you should. Um, obviously, we try to teach the players through the situation so they can continue to play. But if they're not under control and they're not showing that they can control it, then I think sitting them down a couple shifts, getting under control, talking to them, um, you know, should be, hopefully, if you've created a culture, enough to uh, allow them to get back in the game. If they can't go back in the game, then so be it. I, it's much more important for the players to be safe than for someone to get ice time or to win the game. Yeah, I, I agree there. And, you know, I, I think um... – my my next scenario there for you is um, is a little bit different from that one, but um, I I think there's a lot of players at that at the age group, especially when we're thinking about you know the transitioning from non-hitting hockey to hitting hockey. There's but I would say actually in all age groups this is quite common. There's a lot of players that just get frustrated with themselves and and then in turn take that out on other players, and it leads to dangerous situations not just for other players, but you know when when you're frustrated or in in my opinion in my experience there's been a lot of players that when they get frustrated when with themselves they they act you know very dangerously for themselves you know putting them in situations putting themselves in situations where they can get hurt you know whether that's hitting in a dangerous manner 
um, or just going into situations where they can be hit in a dangerous manner and everything like that. So, you know, my my question for you there is if if say you have a player that is is constantly getting frustrated with themselves, right? Constantly getting down on themselves, angry with themselves for their performance, not just in games, but also in practices. And, you know, the more, well, you know, this is coming from a real world example here. And, and, and the more I seemed to talk to this player, the more frustrated they seemed to get, you know, and the, the more kind of down on themselves they seem to get and then in turn the more dangerous their play seem to get so you know with that sort of situation what is the balance between stepping in and, and giving them the feedback and saying like hey we can't be playing like this we need to focus on you know what is our actual goal how do we win the puck how do we play in, in, a, in a clean way versus you know letting letting them almost kind of um handle it themselves because it seems like the more that someone talks to them the more frustrated they get um i'm not sure if that's something you've experienced or something you're familiar with but that's sort mm -hmm. of what's been happening with with um one of my players and i'm just kind of curious there yeah thanks for that that's a, a really interesting question i have experienced things similar to that in similar or different situations where players the more you talk to them the worse it gets you know, I, I would say, you know, it begins sort of with, again, the, when they're in non-emotional situations at practice, uh, really building up ideas, uh, building up their skill set. So if you know the player is going to go through this, or you've seen evidence that this is happening, um, really working on their ability to breathe and quiet their mind. You know, we'll do things like, okay, I want you to you know, take a, a nasal breath. So breathe in through your nose, maybe to four and then breathe out through your mouth, your nose to eight and count it really slowly. And just trying to get things diffused, like I said, calm down so they can have composure. Uh, so to breathe to really um, reset that focus. Um, also, you know, again, helping them look at the game differently. You know, if their frustration is coming from their own play. You know, helping them understand that reacting to that frustration is only going to make things worse. And you'll be able to give them multiple examples of that from games. And so then coming up with phrases or cues that really help them to manage it themselves, or you can spark it by saying it, right? So, you know, uh, one thing, you know, I talk about the three R's routine, you know, respond, you know, in a good way. Uh, to what's happening. So get your stick down the ice, skate away from the guy. If you're on the bench, uh, response might be to say, you know what, I'm okay. I can do this. Uh, take a breath or two, like I said, you know, in that relaxed phase. And in our final stages, to refocus and refocus on simple cues that really get your mind in the right place so you can then have the emotional experience and the behaviors you want to have. You know, for me personally, as a hockey player, it was, you know, realizing like, you know, these guys aren't trying to hurt me. They're just playing the game. Like, it's all good. I'm good. And that's something I repeated. You know, you're good. You're good. Stick in the ice, win the puck. Um, just trying to give myself like quick, quick cues that move me from this emotional experience with a whole lot of angry, frustrated thinking. Like, I'm playing bad. This is not fair. What are my parents thinking? What are my coaches thinking? You, you talking to may just 
remind him of how poorly he's playing and it just adds to that emotional experience. Now you need to at times, obviously, but if you, if you have an agreed upon routine, like the three R's, Hey, remember you get in that situation. I want you to remind yourself that you're okay, that you can do this. You just got to come back shift by shift, breathe. And then, Hey, play fast, play smart. You know, stick on the ice. Give them specific cues, right? And we talked, Rick was talking about those, the language that we use of coaches. Um, players need that as well. And I've experienced that where if you can have agreed upon refocusing cues, the coach can then cue it up. You know, you give them a tap on the back, like, hey, man, hey, let's just be, let's play smart, let's play fast, stick on the ice. And you can give them, you can catalyze that refocus by knowing that. So if you have a, if you develop like this three R's routine, then they can start take, taking control over their responses, um, because this emotional experience, um, having rational thought until the emotional experience passes is not very effective. You have to cool that emotional experience first before you can actually hang on to any kind of rational think any rational thoughts. Um, so you need powerful things to cut through that most strong emotional experience, like acceptance, like, hey, it's all good. They're not trying to hurt me. Breathing, again, which I can't emphasize that enough, that helps to calm things down, the lower the intensity emotions, let them pass through. And then having really strong refocusing cues that they practice uh, off the ice, on the ice, that, okay, it's about, yeah, play with speed, win pucks, get your head up, whatever helps them um, to play a tough and clean way. Well, I, I have one final scenario here, just, and I, I think this one's, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe a little bit from a different perspective as well, but thinking about a coach and, and an entire team, right? Because I think, I think it, uh, in, in youth sports and in youth hockey, you know, the, um, the development of the kids, it can happen at any point, right? So let's say, for example, um, you're, you're going along halfway through your season and, and your team's been playing, you know, tough and clean hockey up until this point, and it's never really been an issue. So you've never really um, spoken about it up until that point. But then all of a sudden, you know, something happens, the kids start to, to change a little bit, experience some more emotions um, and things like that. And all of a sudden, you know, you're halfway in and, and your team's starting to lose that kind of tough and clean hockey mentality that they were playing. Um, is, is it, how do you handle that in that, in that situation where maybe you didn't establish that early in the season, that these were your expectations, these were your, this is your philosophy around it because, you know, it wasn't an issue with, with your group, but then all of a sudden it became an issue. So what are those first steps when you, when you think about the entire team process? Um, and I, I'm, and I'm sure we've talked about those pieces here in this episode already, but, you know, just going through that um, process, so kind of in the middle of the season almost. Yeah, another great question. You guys are prepared for this. I like it. Uh, well, I, I think I would have a, a, a very strong but very positive conversation with my team about expectations. And, and, and it would be a discussion about what do you guys want to be? What kind of team do you want to be? Um, what are you going to be known for? How do we play? And having that conversation, again, age matters here, but typically your, your tenant under is not going to engage too much in this stuff. 
it tends to be more the 14, 13. Uh, having that conversation and, and creating some very clear agreed upon expectations again about playing tough and clean, um, about playing the game that's not only going to make you more effective personally, but it's also going to make this team more effective. So I think that's where it, it, it happens, is establishing those expectations, talking about why they're important together. Um, and, and then as a coach, being positively demanding of these expectations. You know, I, I would want to have a practice or a couple practices. That's not always possible, uh, clearly, but I'd like to have a practice before my next game so we could reestablish the kind of game that we want to play, who our identity is, which part of that is tough and clean, I would hope, um, that we play fast, we play physical, but we stay out of the box, we stay healthy, uh, you know, and reestablish that. I might, again, going back to what I said earlier, have very competitive drills in practice at next practice, but my expectations would be very clear about how I'd want them to play that, be under control, battle for pucks, uh, and not go after each other. Um, you know, again, it would all be done in a safe way. It would not be done in a way where it's just, okay, let's line up and hit each other. Like the old Oklahoma drill and football, which is, is really not appropriate. Um, we wouldn't do it that way. It would be still within the structure of the game, 2v2s, 3v2s, small-sided, uh, winning puck battles, races for pucks, um, things of that nature. But uh, I would have a very strong expectation with my team. Uh, and even if it happens in the middle of the season, you can still teach, right, guys? I mean, you can start talking about some of the skills. You know, you can start small. Hey, you know, when you get emotional, you get frustrated, you get angry, whatever it is, I want you to, on the bench, I want you to, to take, 12 seconds. I want you to breathe in the four, breathe out the eight, and really kind of diffuse that situation and focus on one thing that helps you play better. Or what, what's the team sort of theme for the game, right? Like, so helping them with that, really getting some structure, I think it can still happen in the middle of the season. Um, your expectations as a coach should be that you're going to have to help them and remind them of that because it's not trained. Um, you know, you might even need to have visual cues, you know, putting that routine, you know, a little sticky reminder, um, you know, on their stick, on their tape or something so that they see it when they're sitting there. But um, those would be some of the things I would do. I'd really try to um, nip that in the bud right away uh, and not just see it as a passing thing. But it was just that team. You know, I would address it and engage in some of those things. So. So Larry, I think again, especially like the last cue you gave here, like just something, a visual cue, like writing something on the stick, for example, like, again, we can go back to the example, hit the hands and as a short, it's pretty long on the, to write it on the stick, but you can just, the player could just write, um, H T H just as a reminder. And then again, coming back to the breathing exercises and connecting this. And then you spoke about refocus and then doing this and then playing the next shift, I think um, these are very, very good practical examples. And we do have one final question for you. What is your message regarding playing tough and clean hockey to our listeners? 
Yeah, tough and clean hockey was always meant to be a way to play better hockey. It wasn't meant to be a way to just keep people from hurting each other. Obviously, that's the main goal is to play a safe game, but also to excel and thrive. And, and what I've tried to do with this program is, is to really teach players the emotional and thought management skills that you need not only to play better hockey, even if you're not playing dirty, uh, just anyone can benefit from it, but also help you in life. Learn how to respond better to adversity, uh, to have this emotional toughness where you can control how you respond to things, even if you are having a negative emotional experience. So to me, um, I, I believe that teaching this in some form and fashion to young people uh, has to be done. It doesn't have to be called tough and clean but we must teach our players how to manage their emotions and make good decisions on the ice. Otherwise it can become very unsafe very quickly. Um, and that's something that every coach does in some way, right? Hopefully. Um, what I've hoped I've provided is a, a template, a structure, a language, um, a way to get to that for coaches that maybe they haven't had this kind of training or it's not something that they have spent much time on. So yeah, that would be my message, Rick and Derek, is that this is for everybody and it can help anyone play better, uh, but also it can help us stay out of the penalty box, stay safe, stay healthy, which obviously are, are very key things to become better as a hockey player and better as a team. Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Lauer, for your time today. We, we hope we provided an, an interesting conversation away from your main responsibilities in tennis. Um, have fun at the, the upcoming tournament and, and enjoy enjoy watching tennis. And, and I'm sure it's, you know, there's some nice weather in Florida right now, a little Absolutely. bit nicer than, than here in Finland maybe. So we'll be a little bit of uh, jealousy there when you're out watching <laughs> tennis and we're freezing our bones off. But um, again, thank you very much and, and please and enjoy the rest of your day and, and have fun at that tournament. Appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. Alright, so again, big thanks to Dr. Larry Lauer um, for taking the time and joining us here today and um, to have this like follow-up conversation about the conference, uh, yeah, from the conference, from his presentation. And I think something that we have forgotten to mention in the introduction is that um, we, it was very important for us with this conversation that this is like a build-up conversation um, from the conference because we didn't want to like just have the same points occurring here today. So that's why we moved a little bit away from the presentation. Of course, we, we were taking some inspiration there and we um, through the presentation, we did some preparation, but um, this is a separate conversation from the presentation that we gave on our conference. And that was, a, again, it was a build-up conversation. And my first point uh, from this conversation today is first of all, just how crucial it is to emphasize and um, something I or the idea I really liked Larry has been describing here today is that um, we need to think about practice versus playing time a lot and in playing time obviously very often we see that hey someone is doing something that is against 
playing tough and clean hockey. Um, so that doesn't meet the demands of playing tough and clean hockey. But then how often do we actually take the time and practice to emphasize this? I think he made a really valuable point with saying that we have so many practices and we were going in this direction that why are we not having in practices when we have small area games and we see things are getting heated up? Why are we not in that case scenario just reminding them about what is the meaning of playing tough and clean hockey and then you build it from the practice into the game um so just as an example as well that we had in january we had one preseason game and we did something in practice and the player scored exactly one of my players scored exactly with the with the shot we trained two goals mm. so there's a similarity if you if you don't do the things in practice then you cannot expect that they occur in the game naturally and i think This is one of the most essential topics and um, that's why we should place much more emphasis on this. Yeah, I think so too. And, and I think, you know, you're, you're right there. Like if you, and the other part there, like if you just let it go in practice, then, then you're going to see it in the games. And I, I think the other important part there too is that for the most part, you know, referees at young ages are, are volunteers pretty much. They might be getting a little bit of cash, but they're not making a living refereeing you know it's just something they want to do pick up a couple extra bucks or, or just kind of be involved with the game so you you know you can't expect them to be perfect so how how do you hold your players accountable in the games as well when there isn't necessarily a penalty called on a dirty hit or a non-clean hit and um i think that some of the examples today that we talked about with larry were really helpful with that but then you know, building off of your point, let's say that, you know, the, the call was made, that the player was given a penalty for a dirty hit. You know, do you leave it there? Do you just let them sit in the box with no one explaining, you know, why or or working with that player to, to better control their emotions and, and everything like that? So I think the, the one of the biggest takeaways for me today was just how important the communication is for this, for this to work, for the idea of tough and clean hockey to come across. Um, And just and just how you know how important it is to just talk to the players, understand mm -hmm. you know understand their emotions, empathize with them, but then help them uh, channel and control those emotions into positive ways. And and that was the second big takeaway for me is that you know we're not trying to get rid of the emotions. Emotions are what make sport great, you know. And and that kind of hit me like a truck when when Larry was mentioning that like you don't need to stop the emotions, you just need to learn how to control the emotions. And so many people think that when you when you are trying to take the um, or when you talk about emotional control in games and everything, it's about limiting the emotions. But no, it's not. And that, and I think that was a really valuable message today. It's like you're not trying to get rid of them. You're just trying to learn how to channel them appropriately and how to how to handle them when those emotions come. So you don't go out there and try to take someone's head off. You go out there and try to make good plays and you work a little bit harder. And, And you're able to kind of breathe through those moments. And the day we had this conversation, I remember having a player meeting and, and mentioning to a player, like one of the breathing techniques that, that Larry taught us in the episode, the in your nose through four seconds and out your mouth through eight seconds. And, and I've been trying to remind that player, you know, hey, when he gets kind of frustrated or anything, like, hey, breathe, you know, take a couple seconds, calm down, clear your mind and everything like that. And um, I've seen a, um, a small positive improvement so far. It's only been a week, but... Um, and, and I think that that's just so valuable to have that understanding that you don't want to get rid of their emotions. You just want to help them control their emotions. And I, I, again, like I can say that over and over again, because it did, it did hit me like a truck. 
Yeah, and I think also it goes back to the one quote Larry was saying that because he was mentioning that we spend less time on teaching how to deal with emotions versus training skills. So we spend more time on training skills in comparison to how help our players to deal with emotions. And in terms of how to utilize in this practices, I think going back to the conversation we had with Dr. Nick Winkelman about um, the language of coaching and external versus internal cues, um, Larry gave some really, really good cues that we can utilize in our coaching, such as, for example, hit the hands. Um, that I, I, I always love this cue when, when someone is saying this. And, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is that when we think about the conversation we have with Dr. Nick Winkelman is that we have that memory storage um, where we want to help the players to go from short-term to long-term memory. And that's one of the things that if we use external cues that we can provoke this kind of thinking in them. So I think it's this was a very, very important message. And the other point I still wanted to discuss is that he also has been saying that um, if you are going to play tough and clean hockey, you will not shorten your bench. And well, when you're listening, you're maybe like, yeah, that's understandable because if you have a, if you get a penalty, you have one player less. But we need to think about that. Um, what does what does actually is the consequence of if you if you are playing? Um, I mean, if you, if you if you if you get a penalty, the consequence is that you're going to have one player less. That's the first consequence. Then the the next consequence is that you can only play with four players. What what does it lead to? It leads to minim, minimum amount of ice time. And the same situation is again like we we had games where in the preseason now before we started the spring season like we had three times in a row penalties but the players were complaining why am i not going i said like i can only send four players on the bench. that was actually before we had uh, on the bench four players on the ice that was actually before the before the conversation so i think like really making them conscious about not just that hey you did a penalty that's not good for the team but what is actually the consequence in terms of ice time that when 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 you do a penalty because everyone at the at the end of the day and, and and everyone wants to have ice time it's the and wants to be out there and play that's the most important thing to them yeah i mean that's why they're there right and i, I think the other piece of that too is that we we talked about it at the very end of the conversation but you know tough and clean hockey it's not it, it's supposed to be a way to play better hockey right and and to put your team in better better situations to to compete in games and and everything like that so you know it's I, I really i really appreciate it there at the end as well when when larry said it's it's a must like you mentioned the the skill quote that he had right like but it's a must that we teach players how to control their emotions how to mm-hmm. manage their emotions and how to play with their emotions to their advantage rather than to their disadvantage and and i think that's so crucial and and i really um i really enjoyed hearing larry speak about the first conversation that we have with a player when we see that their emotions are out of control you know, the first thing he mentioned was empath- empathize with the player and and kind of honor their emotions. You know, don't go over there and be like, hey, don't be angry. Like, you know, you don't need to be angry. Go over there and be like, hey, I understand you're angry. I understand that, you know, and, and I appreciate that. And, and I can I can see where that is coming from. But then also asking the player like, hey, you know, what is making you angry? What is what is triggering this and, and kind of what how can we see the game a little bit differently? You know, and, and I, I think that was so um, so crucial. But going back to your point of the the um, 
of the lessened ice time, you know, and it, it just kind of, um, it, it kind of brings to light, you know, the benefits of teaching players this as well. You know, it's, it's less stress for you as the coach to, to get everybody on the ice, but it's also, um, you know, it's more beneficial for the players because they get to play more. They, they get to play more offense, which I think is everyone's favorite part of the game. And they get to play, um, they get to play more with all of their teammates and everything like that. So I think it's, it, it is crucial. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It was just overall like a really good conversation. And then, and then also the scenarios we went through were, were really interesting to me because, um, you know, it's always fun. I think we did this with, um, um, Cassidy Preston, where we went through some scenarios as well, but it's always fun to go through different scenarios and see how these experts in the field would, would react and, and respond to these and, and give us some advice. Um, so it was, it was really useful there. Yep. 100%. And, um, one other point I, I want to bring up is that because we were speaking about like, um, Oh yeah, I'm going back one more time to one of the points you made is because that um also we need to think about like um like when when we when when the bench is short and like and we play a lot of four against four like um less development can actually take place. Um so also I think that's that's another point because as you said as well they want to play all together out there. And um my last point from this from today's conversation is that just also finding ways of encouraging players to implement visual cues because he was for example saying that like um right on your stick tape um that you want to play tough and clean hockey for example or maybe puck first or hit the hands tuck those elbows and just just right there when you when you use tuck those elbows just you t t e tuck those elbows just just have a short form like where the players can watch on their stick hey and tell, tell themselves hey this is actually how i want to play tough and clean hockey so i think this is a really really cool reminder and i think i've never seen this anywhere and i think but again here's like the theory part but then convincing the player to do this it's going to be i think um not easy in the first place but maybe if they experience the benefit of it then they maybe maybe buy into this approach yeah and i think it's about that that patience and having those good conversations empathizing with them and understanding their emotions and honoring those emotions and and just working with them to see the game differently and, and one one point to that like i really liked when larry was talking about in, the, in that fourth scenario we brought up um battling for pucks not battling against each other you know like the point of going into the corner and battling is not to beat up on the other guy it's to come out with the puck you know and helping players transition from okay hey i'm going to go into that corner and i'm going to battle that player to i'm going to go into that back corner and i'm going to come out with the puck you know that transition alone i think was really beneficial in, in stepping towards playing tough and clean hockey so i think that's a um a good place to wrap it up for today though and um thank you again for joining us dr larry lauer um and thank you everybody to listening to the coaches world podcast presented by coach tools again go check them out coachtools.net uh, and you can watch arrow's presentation um more about coach tools on our youtube page um and yeah i, I think that's pretty much it so uh until next week um enjoy and, and good luck kevin your practices and your games and everything like that. See you next time. Bye.